Fulhamish is backed for the season by Ladbrokes. Hello and welcome to the Fulhamish podcast, your independent voice of Fulham FC. My name is Sammy James and on tonight's show we're going to be looking back at Saturday's excellent win at Sheffield Wednesday as the choppy seas of the championship promotion race parted open for the Whites this weekend with Cardiff and Villa both slipping up, handing Fulham a golden chance to capitalise which we took with full aplomb. Uh, and at Hillsborough, Slav relied on the dynamic duo of Cess and Mitro to do the business. And then tonight, I have my own double act on the podcast with me. One of our own, Jack Collins. Hello, listeners. And our very own partisan boy, Ben Jarman. <laughs> Good evening. Your, tweet's like done. Your tweet has made Serbia. It has. You're making waves, mate, across the pond. 190 likes in a day. From the partisan From gang. The partisan gang, yeah. The big up my partisan boys. gang. What's your Twitter if people want to see the tweet? Uh, Bjarm underscore. It's good. It's my, I'll pin it. Oh no, but what about, what about the one about wolves? Well, we can't do that anymore because Kanye, Kanye tweet. removed the tweet. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Um, Jack, let's do some three-word reviews before we get into Saturday's action. A brilliant 1-0 win over Sheffield Wednesday. Uh, what came in? What, what platform are you using today to find some three-word reviews? I'm going back to the uh, old hallowed turf of Twitter because we've got quite a lot in at the weekend. So Good stuff. I'm, I'm mixing it back up. Um, Cabano, at Cabano, with an X instead of an A, Cabexno. He says the Niskins effect, which I did enjoy. Yeah. Um, David Kettlehake came through with a brilliant one, which was Serbian Owl Slayer. Um, <laughs> yeah. FFC Dom, Viva John Ruddy, which I thought was excellent. Weekly Geekly with Handshake Handbags Happiness. Uh, and Cameron Church's Warnock's Watching Worried. Well, what a dramatic weekend of championship action, proving why this league is so brilliant at times. Before we get into Sheffield Wednesday, just to say that this season, Fulhamish is backed by Labrooks for exclusive specials and promotions. Head to bets.fulhamish.co.uk. And if you ever fancy taking part in the Three World Review, we do it after every single game. We post a tweet pretty much bang on uh, the final whistle. So you can take part on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook, at Pod. Get involved and you can get your little review of the match on the next episode of the podcast. So Fulham kept it late to beat Sheffield Wednesday at Hillsborough. Alexander Mitrovic converting Sessignon's wicked cross to put Fulham within sniffing distance of Cardiff. Surely, Jack, the players and fans have got to believe we can overcome Cardiff. I think that you have to believe because you know we've got to keep doing what we're doing and, and hope that they slip up. But ultimately, it is still in Cardiff's hands. Yeah, they've messed up at the weekend and... Yeah, the two missed penalties were excellent for us because hopefully that will lead to a, a lack of composure and a lack of, you know, belief in their own game in an, in their next game against Villa. But it's still, you know, in their hands, they're still clear of us with a game in hand. And it's not going to be, you know, Fulham win one and suddenly we're, we're over them and, it, and it's game over and it's not yet in our hands. So, yeah, we've got to believe we can do it. Of course we do. We've got to, you know, keep on their tails, keep winning and keep the pressure on and hopefully they'll crumble. Um, but, you know, it, you do have to remember it's still not in our hands. If they lose tomorrow to Aston Villa, then I think that we can start to really, really believe that this is a capable and, and something we can very much achieve. We said, Ben, if Fulham just keep winning their games, uh, there's every chance Cardiff will slip up. They have now to a point. They haven't fully collapsed and it is still very much in their hands, which I quite like. I, I, I like the feeling of it being still Cardiff's to lose. Obviously, there's going to have to be a point where that turns over if we are to get into second, because for me, I would hate nothing more than for it to be in Fulham's hands all of a sudden and then we mess it up when it's our opportunity, because if we then did have to go into a playoff 
campaign after that, it would be pretty hard to recover from. Look, if we went into the playoff campaign having lost all that momentum of catching Cardiff and then letting it slip, I could see it ending quite badly for us. But I like the situation that we're in now because it means that the pressure's completely off us and the pressure's all on Cardiff. It's much easier to to win a race if you're coming from behind the leading from the front because obviously Cardiff know how far we are behind them, but it doesn't mean that we're not. It's like a done deal, do you know what I mean? And I think, like in the earlier question, you said... Um, surely now the fans and the players have to believe but surely the players would have believed from from the moment we set off on this unbeaten run and started climbing the table because if they didn't believe we wouldn't have gone on on a on a run like this and we wouldn't have been as high as we were without that belief because you know having a positive outcome produces positive um, results on the pitch so I don't think we would have been here if we didn't believe from the, from the moment we, we started playing this season It was an interesting one though there was a little bit of pressure on Fulham on Saturday because the Cardiff game uh, they lost to Wolves on the Friday night and then Norwich beat Villa quite comfortably at Carrow Road and, and Norwich were brilliant Josh Murphy was like Pele it was unbelievable <laughs> the, the performance he put in so then Fulham came into their game at 3pm knowing what had happened in the other results and there was a little bit of pressure to win on, on Saturday I, I, we, we've been in this lovely position where we just keep winning our games and it's all nice and easy but if we'd have not won on Saturday the players would have been well gutted they hadn't taken the opportunity of course they would have but also you, you've got to think about that both ways one the pressure is relieved from behind you so they would be there going okay well if we get a point today we still we're still clearing Villa we're still gaining ground on Villa and yes and, and also gaining ground on Cardiff not the ground we wanted you know admittedly but you know that kind of attitude that every point is a good point seems to be you know Slav's, Slav's the one that's saying that every every point we scrap for and every goal we score they're all good things and they've got to lead us towards you know towards the Premier League whether that be through automatics or playoffs but it's about making that momentum count and really understanding you know how Slavisa looks at that and obviously us absolutely dominating Sheffield Wednesday, not letting them have a shot on target. You know, only shot. We only conceded four shots against us at the weekend, and we played really, really well for for large swathes of the game. And ultimately, that's a positive and something that, even if we hadn't scored, it would have been frustrating. Yes, but Slav's going to look at that and go, "Look, we dominated. We we controlled the game. We created opportunities. And you know, Wildsmith in goal had an absolute stormer for them. In fact, I believe he was man of the match." And that's saying something that if you're losing goalkeeper as man of the match and you're still, you know, you're still managing to finally break him down and get past him, then you know we're in the right positions and we're in the right places. And you hope that over a set of time and over a long period, those things would equal out into the right teams, you know, going up. And hopefully, even if it does become a playoff race, we can make that kind of momentum count and that kind of dominance of games. We can really make it count this time, right? As we where we didn't last year. Ben, it seemed to me the game on Saturday, you know, we, we did kind of struggle to break down Sheffield Wednesday. There wasn't too much action in the game. And I know Fulham had the better chances and that Sheffield didn't create too much in terms of goal-scoring threat. It just felt to me the kind of occasion we would have either lost or maybe drawn 6 to 12 months ago to battle through, get a 1-0 victory at the end. It seems like new age Fulham. New age Fulham with a new age striker who we can. That, that I think for me, just looking at this from a personal point of view, six or twelve months ago we didn't have Alexander Mitrovic. Yeah. Now down the line we've got this striker who's clearly a level above where he should be. Well, level below where he should be playing, um, and he's taking us through the times where 
albeit we're not playing particularly well in passages because I admit for the majority of the game we played really well against Sheffield, Sheffield Wednesday but in the patches where we're looking like we need someone to pull us through he's being the one more than most although the rest of the team are doing well that is pulling us through those those um, patches of play where we desperately need something and he done it again this this weekend with a goal but I think a lot of people have rightly pointed out on Twitter that, that there were some fantastic performances, um, mainly from uh, Matty Target. Reem was excellent again, uh, and Tom Kenny was also really good at the weekend. As Jack said, we kept just a four shots on goal, and this is now three clean sheets in a row for Fulham. And this is something that we haven't really seen from us for a very long time. And this sort of defensive um, metal and, and organised shape is something we haven't seen from Fulham for, for a very long time as I said and it's really encouraging to see and we even kept walls out um, as well so we've got some good defensive um, shape here it's something that we need to build on um, in these final few games to keep some teams such as Millwall and such as Brentford who are going to threaten us and who are really going to pose a problem to us in a footballing sense we need to keep them at bay and I think we can still do that. Do you think it was quite a limp performance from Sheffield Wednesday? We faced now three mid-table teams in a row, none of whom have got anything to play for, really. None of them were threatened by relegation, none of them could get anywhere near the playoffs or even really break into the top half. And this was a team that had won three on the bounce, was on good form under a newish manager and I was just shocked how like passive it was. I think, look, you, they've got a lot of players out injured and that's, that's something that has that's to be taken into team. consideration. Yeah, they are a good team. They are a good team and they've got a lot of good players there. But ultimately, I don't think Fulham gave them too much of a chance to play well. They, You know, we dominated the ball. Like, you know, we've mentioned the shots now twice already, so I'm not going to go into it again. But when you're restricting a team to that kind of... All of their kind of play was... One, they improved in the second half, which is saying something because they still weren't very good, but they were they were better than they than they were in the first half. And you know what? They could have been three, four nil down at half time, and it wouldn't have been an injustice. And, and I think that's testament to Fulham rather than you know quantifying the opposition. You look at Leeds or even Sheffield United a couple of weeks back, and it wasn't about them not playing well; it was about them just being unable to cope with Fulham's you know dominant ability on the ball. And, and ultimately, that tears, tires teams out and it wears them down. And, you know, when you're chasing shadows for 90 minutes, it's very hard to like, motivate yourself to get forward, especially their best chance came in the 93rd minute. I don't think that's a surprise. I think it gets to the point where you're like, you sit there and you're getting 60 minutes, 70 minutes, 80 minutes, and you're like, I haven't got any energy, I haven't got any energy. And suddenly, it's 1-0, 93rd minute, and you just pour forward. And I don't think there's any nothing new in that, in, in the fact that I think that you look at these games and, and they'll go alright if we're, if, if we're in touching distance we might get one shot at the very end and, and they did and they got an opportunity and you know what someone of Fernando Forestieri's quality will be absolutely devastated he hasn't got that on target and that should be a warning shot to Fulham but at the same time you know you look at the game as a whole and, and they just didn't really create anything because we didn't really allow them to Fulham made one change uh, Shea Yojo coming in for Floyd Aite. Uh, the state of the comments uh, underneath Fulham's uh, tweet when that was announced uh, was quite diabolical, but quite a surprising move from Slav to see Ojo back in, who really hasn't been performing of late. And, and, and everyone wanted, wants Niskin Skibano to get a chance in that right wing. Well, you could see why everyone wants Niskin Skibano to come on and, and to have some sort of impact, because he did it in this game where he had sort of like a 20 or 30 minute cameo at the end. I can see why um, Slav has brought in Ojo over Aite because although, as you all know, I'm a massive fan of Aite, but recently he seems to be floating in and out of games and he doesn't really seem to be as effective as he was last season. 
um, and he's not really getting in those, those goal scoring opportunities bar the, um, the shot that hit the post against Leeds in these handful of games that he's actually played and whilst I do appreciate everything that Floyd does in a, in a defensive sense and the fact that he can make a, a, a good amount of chances going forward he hasn't really done that in the last few games so I think it is justified to bring someone else in and I think the way that Slav is thinking about this is that you know Sheffield Wednesday were going to try and crowd us out um, in the middle they were going to try and crowd out Mitrovic um, so the thing that could potentially counteract that was to, to spread the ball wide create the overload in wide areas and then have that winger come in onto his stronger foot in the case of Ojo probably on the left foot um, and test the keeper as much as he can and we saw that in, in uh, a few shots that he had especially in the opening 25 minutes of the game we also saw him drifting in from the wing um, in the opening 10 minutes and obviously had that goal ruled out offside albeit very very tight decision I think Slav just wanted someone in there that is not afraid to shoot in, in the games that he could see that are going to be tight I think we also have to realise that Liverpool have also put in a, a clause in the contract of Marco Grujic, who plays for Cardiff on loan from them at the minute, where he has to play a set number of games, otherwise Cardiff have to give Liverpool more money. And I wouldn't be surprised if there's some sort of agreement between the two clubs here, in, in Ojo's case as well. Well, actually, you nicely bring me on to a point that I'd kind of omitted from the running order. Uh, Fulham's finances came out in the week and to say that we gambled on this season is probably a bit of an understatement they were quite surprising I didn't realize that the level of financial backing from the team had and from uh, the Khans had been quite so high it seems quite risky yeah, I mean, look, we've seen that in none the of us are financial experts That's before the, we before we touch on this. I but. think this is the, the point I was kind of trying to make was that we've seen in the past that the Khans have got it wrong in terms of breaking FFP, and and for the right reasons. And I think they tried to do the right thing by the club, and and they've mismanaged it. I don't think they'll do that again. And I'm not a financial advisor, and I don't have to, to be able to tell you what what's right and what's wrong in this situation, but. I gamble on the fact that there are people at the club that do and I think that whatever the plan is there will be a backup option and there will be there will be some sort of you know plan in place for if we don't go up to be able to make that make that financially work. All I know is these the club's accounts came out and they're public available online for anyone that wants to have a read and understand them and I, I personally really get baffled by We've got an article my- coming out on it. Have we? Okay, well, I get baffled by my own bank account, uh, so let alone um, trying to read someone else's. But the numbers that are there don't count for the, some of the stuff that can be deducted off FFP, like improvements to club facilities yeah. and development of young players. So that's all I know. It doesn't include that, and it's quite hard to read without all the details on that for the moment. Anyway, moving on. Um, Ojo actually was involved in the best chance I'd say of the first half a goal which was just ruled out for offside it was very unlucky it was a very very tight decision it was a lovely little finish it was right there yeah but he was offside yeah but very very marginal yeah, yeah of course Look, I, I, Ojo didn't play particularly well but I also didn't think he was awful um, he but there's too many of those performances from him like yeah say, completely. I don't think he played particularly badly but he wasn't great you know he just seems of late to be that sort of like six and a half rating person we, we, I think in that right wing berth we're, we're struggling for an impact really you've got Aito who floats in and out you've got Ojo who seems to be a sort of inconsistent performer and you've got Niskins who isn't really getting much of a look in 
at the moment. And Lucas, who I imagine will start tomorrow. But that will, we'll, we'll bring that one on later on. But it, it was more like Ojo, he, he did well creating opportunities for himself and then just dribbled them all into the hands of the keeper. Exactly. And it was like, you know, he, it, it, a touch almost of the Sean A. Lucas about him in the fact that he was creating good things and while Sean A. used to blaze them wildly over the bar, Ojo seems to just dribble them along the floor like a very 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 tame daisy cutters if you will yeah. um, but it's just one of those things where you know it's good that he's creating opportunities that is that is something that has to be looked at yes it's not ideal that all of those opportunities are ending up very much safely in the gloves of the keeper but you know if you look at it as a wider picture if he's creating opportunities and the ball is fizzing in there around the box then someone with, with someone like Mitrovic about who's obviously such a push and, and Sessegnon who we you know haven't even touched on um, then, then opportunities will come for goals especially with someone who wasn't having such a great game as Kieran Wildsmith who you know very much gobbled up everything but all it takes is a little deflection off a defender for one of those to nick off hit the keeper on the knee and land at the feet of, of a Fulham player and, and suddenly Ojo has been instrumental in the creation of a goal so I don't think it was as bad as people are making out but I still think he has work to do in terms of improving his performance if he's going to be our starting right winger well then the second half Ojo comes off for Aita after 62 minutes but he picks up an injury only 10 minutes later no word from the club on that injury as of yet so another unfortunate setback for Floyd Aita who just seems to be permanently injured it's, not, it's just Floyd it's just how it's just how he is if he overplays you feel, always feel like he's going to pick up an injury. He hardly, hardly overplayed. He played 10 minutes. Yeah, but you know what I mean. If he, gets a, week, if he gets a good week, run of games, i.e. Tuesday, Saturday, Tuesday, Saturday, you, you can almost bet your house that on that, that second Saturday, he'll end up with an injury. I think I read an article with Ian Robin in 442 this morning on the way into work, and he was saying how he, when he was very young in his career, he sort of understood, he didn't understand how his body worked, so he was injured constantly. And then as he got older, he sort of knew how to manage his body and how to make sure that he recovered well. And I, I think we need to give a bit more of that to Aita. He needs to understand how to look after his body. And either it's, he's working too hard in training or he needs to do something else. And it's, it's clear here that he needs to Im- improve the way he looks after himself. Good to see, though, Cabano get that chance yeah. um, that he's been clamouring for, many of the fans have been clamouring for, and despite missing a good chance, thought he had a pretty positive influence on play, and it was actually unlike- he should have taken it round the keeper, yeah. uh, that chance, because Wildsmith was very much committed. He had a couple of good chances, actually. He had a pullback from a, a good, a well-worked Steph Joe free kick that yeah. he slipped over on. He had another one where he was over the top and he volleyed it first time and dragged it wide. Um, that he potentially had more time than he thought. Mm. He very much took the, did, had time to take the ball down and place it, but instead he tried to hit it first time and it, um, it sort of bobbled away from him a little bit. But yeah, you're, you're completely right. He looked positive. He was direct. He did exactly what we expected him to do. He was direct. He ran at players. He tried to get in behind. He caused openings. Do I think that he should start in the next game? No, because that kind of impact is not a 90-minute impact. No one can do that for 90 minutes. It's, it's, it's impossible. Uh, and he's such a good impact player that I think that he must have, you know, Slav must have looked at that and gone, yeah, he's made a good case there for inclusion if we need, if we need a goal. I think part of the reason that we haven't seen Niskin so much is that we haven't really needed a goal for a while. And touch wood that tomorrow isn't the first time we're going to see that. But, mm. you know, it's not like we've been going into games at the end of games desperate to claw one back or desperate for another goal to, to make things safe. We've been reasonably comfortable, which makes no, you know, which makes then no sense to bring Niskin on because he's not defensively, he doesn't have the defensive work rate of the other players. 
Yeah, you meant because actually, you think back to like the Barnsley game, which one of the last times I can really remember Niskins coming on. Again, we were chasing, chasing the game, chasing the game. That's a very interesting point that I hadn't really thought through. Um, 78th minute, crucial moment, lovely play down the left from Target and from Sess, a whipped ball in from Sess. And that's a stunning finish from Mitra because actually, as good a cross as it was from Sessignon, it was hit very, very hard. It needed to be in order to squeeze through the Sheffield Wednesday defence and pass Wildsmith. But as much as I like Abubakar Kamara and Marie Font, I just cannot see them having the guile to put that in. I can't see either of them having the hunger to put it in. I think that's what set, sets Mitrovic apart from Rui Font and Kamara is, aside from the obvious difference in quality, that they don't. you can't see Rui Font wrestling past players to get into the box and to, to prod that one home, can you? Or, in Mitrovic's case, slam it at home. Like, you don't see that from any of the other strikers we've got, in, in, my, in my opinion. I, I think the goal was, was a fantastic the way we worked the left-hand channel was, was fantastic. And so patient. Yeah, so patient. And we caused a very slow but quite a sizable overload, something that we saw last season quite a lot where you'd overload a side of the pitch and draw all the players over and then cross it across. Well, cross it across is not a very good phrase, but you know, play it across the box into the waiting striker or winger. And one thing that I think we should notice that's a little bit earlier on in the sequence is how Niskins drifts off from the right wing um, round the back of the holding midfielder and brings out Glenn Leuvens from defence mm. and it's from there that he's two or three yards up um, therefore creating the hole for Mitrovic to come in at the back post and albeit a very small and tiny movement in the long run it actually worked We don't see lots of that from Sess real wide play whipping in balls um, Sess was instrumental though on Saturday I thought and his link up with Mitrovic is just getting better and better and the, the, that combination was so effective so many times but I just thought it was nice to see that from Sess some real wide play a great cross into the box and especially in the last three or four months we haven't really seen Sessignon do that he's been a bit more of an inside winger trying to tap in goals yeah and we've, uh, we've commented on how that kind of is what we need from him because targets are more defensive options so he can cut inside whereas we don't see that as much from our, our right winger because the because the you know the overload comes down that side and you see what the right winger does is he will help you know take the ball wide hold it up and wait for Freds to go on the overlap whereas Cesc doesn't do that as much because the ball often comes in from the right hand side Fredericks is our you know better attacking outlet in that kind of sense so it makes much more sense for Cessnion to be the inside winger than the outside winger um, it was good to see though and he has done it a little bit more recently especially in the first half of games mm. it's interesting that it happened late because we we have seen Cessnion drift inside when it gets to late and he does sort of almost play as a second striker when, when Fulham are you know in the, in the second half of games because often the game is less stretched but um, I made a comment about this on Twitter that then there's a picture uh, against Leeds of Cess standing on the left hand flank and Stuart Dallas, who was the right back for Leeds against Sessignon, is in the halfway line. And Sess is on the touchline. And it's something that Man City do. It's something that Leroy Sane does. What they do is they take the ball, they overload the right-hand side, and then the ball will drop back to KDB or David Silva, and they will ping a ball across. And it happened a couple of times against Leeds, um, where Sessignon hugs the touchline, but then looks to cut inside. Um, which I think is kind of an interesting capacity on, on that kind of role he plays. Do you think it's down to the op opponents and the side of play yeah. over the past few games? Because I think a lot of them have realised now that the main threat is going to come from Mitrovic, which is more than fair enough, and that we uh, at times like to overload the centre. So we need to have 
some player that that will um, sort of sit on the touchline and, and try and stretch them in some way, either take out the defensive midfielder or the right or, or left back in that case. Yeah, hundred percent. And it's it's you know Slavisa deserves credit for you know making that obviously to Sessegnon's attention and uh, and bring it to his attention and, and making him kind of carry it out and. You know, Sessegnon is such an intelligent player and we can we can wax lyrical for, for days about how clever Sessegnon is in a footballing sense. Um, but his ability to read what's best in terms of attacking teams, yeah, and it goes back to your point you were making from the start of last year, Ben, about um, him being a left-back and therefore understanding what left-backs hate playing, what full-backs hate playing against, means that he's so useful in terms of understanding what, you know, what teams need to be broken down and what he can do to make sure that things you know, work out in his favour. Right, well, the game's come thick and fast for Fulham. There is no rest for the wicked. Uh, and Reading are the visitors to Craven Cottage uh, on Tuesday evening. So coming up next here on Fulhamish, we're going to be previewing that. She said, do you love me? I tell her only partly. I only love Tim Ream and Matt Target. I'm sorry. Hello and welcome back to the Fulhamish podcast. Sammy James here with Jack Collins Hola. and Ben Jarman. Welcome. Uh, on this week on Fulhamish, uh, after the Reading game, we're going to be reviewing that. So it's not really a Fulhamish extra. We're just going to be looking back at the Reading game and then previewing the West London derby Straight against Brentford. Fired. I've got I've got a good interview as well with my man Roland. Who's Roland? Roland, the man who wrote to Being Fulham. Um, and I had a really good chat with him about last year's playoff campaign and how this year's different and... Uh, about the book in general so it's a, a good interview and one I'm looking forward to sharing with y'all so that'll be out Wednesday evening Thursday morning yeah. for you to listen for all your Reading reaction and then looking forward to that game against Brentford which is looking like a bit of a classic Sky Sports Fulham out in force banana yeah. skin for us oh god I hate it loads they've got a boat again you know I said that they hadn't got a boat they've now got a boat again I got, I got notified on Saturday morning that they've booked a new boat I Billy tell you no, my aunt tells me. Oh, I, bet Billy, I bet Billy's on that bloody Billy, boat. I think Billy's organising the boat. Of course Billy's organising <laughs> the flipping boat. Tomorrow on our Instagram story, uh, you may remember from a couple of weeks ago, uh, we did an interview with Chris Mackey, who's basically like an Instagram god. Uh, he's also uh, a Fulham fan, an all-round nice bloke. Uh, he's going to be taking over the Fulhamish Instagram story tomorrow, so make sure you subscribe to Fulhamish on Instagram. It's at Pod. Uh, you'll want to check out that story. It's going to be flames. Straight fire. <laughs> uh, and also, while, uh, while we're doing some admin, if you wouldn't mind leaving us a review on iTunes, if you haven't already, five stars, please. Uh, that would be much appreciated. Okay, admin out of the way. Uh, Fulham take on Lowly Reading, I've written here on my script, tomorrow at Craven Cottage, looking to make it an unbelievable 20 games unbeaten. Slightly different prospect, though, to the one we may have been facing had it been a few weeks ago it's been a change in management Paul Clements come in a very respected manager yep stand dismissed after a run of one win uh, in 17 games for the Royals uh, they have improved though under Paul Clement and they've got themselves two 1-0 home victories as much as they, which is what they became famous for uh, last year was grabbing out 1-0 home victories uh, against QPR and Preston which might just see them safe might do. Um, I think it probably will, just because there are far more teams that are worse than them. Um, I was looking at a stat earlier. This is from George Elek, who is on the Not the Top Twenty podcast, who we oh, regularly yeah. plug. 
He it was after their first two games under Clement. He said, in the two games since Paul Clement took over as Reading FC manager, they've had more red cards than shots on target won. Uh, they've taken just nine shots while allowing 55 against them. That shot went in, that one on target, and they won that game 1-0. Um, and I think it goes, it was against QPR, and uh, I watched the game, and QPR should have scored loads. Um, it, was, it was a very, very strange, strange game. And Reading are doing a bit of a Reading of last season, in fact, that they just don't look very good and they seem to be winning games, which is, you know, mostly a shame. Um, but, you know, I think that we spoke about Reading, you know, uh, we've spoken about them loads on this podcast, more than most teams, to be honest. And something we've noticed and something I've written in the preview is that this season is just a, a revert to the mean. This is what should have happened last season. Understand the fact that they were defying all statistical like expectation. They were an anomaly constantly for the entire season. Is you know testament to the fact that they weren't actually that good then, and they're not that good now. And ultimately, they are. They were outperforming themselves to such an unbelievable level last season that it would have been almost a travesty if they'd gone up. Because imagine that squad trying to compete in the Premier League. Um, and it's just you know now under Clement, Clement's a good boss. Let's you know let's not take all you know things aside from it. He you know he's managed. He was assistant manager at Real Madrid, PSG, Bayern Munich, Chelsea. He's done he's done it across the board. You know at big big clubs, and he knows what management is. He's you know brought he'll bring that squad discipline. Well, he should do aside from the two red cards in his first yeah. two games, <laughs> but he should bring them some structure and and defensive discipline and they do have players in their ranks that are going to hurt teams and, and ultimately what they're going to try and do is do exactly what they did last time sit in absorb pressure try not to concede and try and whack one on the break and, and then hold out for it that's what's going to happen tomorrow well yeah I mean Reading's demise and their anomaly-like performance last year has been well documented by us in particular but many other podcasts it's not the top 20's favourite subject I imagine if either of those two went on Mastermind it would be Reading season (laughs) 2016-17 and how it was a statistical anomaly Um, but what similarity is there Ben between Reading last season and Cardiff this season is it a close comparison is it a fair comparison or is that doing Cardiff a disservice and it's there a little bit of an easy target because it's Warnock and they play a certain style of football the easy the easy answer would be to say that they both play shit football and they're both overachieved yeah but I think that's a little bit too um, top line I think that in the most part Cardiff do actually have a much more quality than Reading had last season especially in wide areas you look at Hoylet, you look at Mendes Lang, um, and you look at their strike force now of um, Zahor, and you look at Medine, um, and they've got that extra quality that Reading didn't have last season, and Reading survived towards the back end of last season alone on defensive sort of um, prowess. Prowess, yeah, for want of a better word. <laughs> Goals from 36 year old Kermigan. Exactly. Um, and I think that this time around, Cardiff have got much more to them. They've got some, some decent structure, they've got a defence that are. Uh, absolutely no nonsense and they understand um, how to manage a game and Reading last season didn't particularly understand how to do that and they just got by on moments of magic and again just being resolute at the back I think there's quite a big difference between both of them actually in terms of quality albeit the style of football from both is terrible I think Cardiff's style is arguably less pleasant on the eye Mm. Um, but I don't feel like if Cardiff go up they're going to you know I don't think they're going to be world beaters but I feel like they could compete I feel like they'll be like a a Brighton this year they're sort of a bit more direct they're not a particularly intricate team they just play the 
they, they play not exactly the margins, but they play that they understand where teams have weaknesses, and almost certainly it means that they get the ball from front to back very quickly to exploit those weaknesses because you know no team wants anyone to cover up and then try and pass through them. Or maybe Fulham did in 2010 under Martin Yell, but that um, 2010-11 under Martin Yell, but like. No team wants to do that, and Cardiff are very much a team where they will let you come on to them and then they'll just hit you hard as soon as possible. This game has been called the Waitrose Derby in recent years. El Middle Classico. Yeah, El Middle Classico. Fantastic. Uh, Fulham versus Reading. But it has turned into a little... No, 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 don't even say it. I know what you're about to say, don't say it. Do not give them the satisfaction... Reading don't have a rival, right? Swindon and Oxford hate each other. They don't care about Reading. Reading are desperate for a rivalry. It's not us. It's not us. We're not your rivals. We have our own rivals. Go away. Yeah, stop it, Sam. I still really want to beat them tomorrow. Yeah, so do I, but yeah, mostly so because I want to keep, keep the pressure on no, Cardiff. No, I, I, I want to beat every team. Yeah, 100%. <laughs> I really dislike Reading. I hate everything about them. I really dislike them. Sunderland, but they're not my rival. Yeah, I mean, there are plenty of teams I don't like very much, but... You know, Dom, Dom really hates Leeds. It doesn't make Leeds Fulham's rival. Oh, maybe, but it, there is some, You know that there Stop is something there. Stop trying to sensationalise it, Sam. No, I'm not having it. I'm, uh, we, we've, the whole Redemption. point I've been trying to make is that that's the worst thing ever. We're keeping away, <laughs> away from that. Um, but they struck it, gold with full force and now they've just fallen flat on their face with redemption, <laughs> not having it. It's just one of those things that, like, you know, I, did, I didn't care about Reading until last year. Nor did you. I didn't care about Reading at any point in my I, life. I think, yeah, maybe not. Maybe it was the three trips to the Medeski. Yeah, of course. I really didn't enjoy them. I don't like the Medeski as a ground. And I don't like the fact that, that Reading fans seem to like have this bizarre like hatred of Lucas Piazon. And in fairness, Lucas Piazon gives it all right back. So, I mean, I understand it now. But to begin with, when he broke his leg, given all the jeer, I was a bit sort of like, this is odd. Um, but we will come on to that because we've got a question about it. OK. But... Um, it's not. It's not a rivalry. Reading are not our rivals. They never will be, and it's just that's that's the end of story. Book shut. All right, there we go. Uh, who are the dangerous players for Reading that we may need to watch out for? Uh, Mo Barrow seems to get a good amount of goals. I quite like him. I think he's a, he's a direct player, mm. and he, he he often contributes. You know, you always see him either if not taking chances, then at least making chances. And what's the likelihood of Aluko being quite good tomorrow? I have Based a funny on his shot to goal ratio, not very. Yeah, I have a feeling he he's might. Gonna, he's obviously going to turn up, isn't he? Yeah, yeah I, I mean, I'm quite scared of them on the break. If if Clement allows them to sit deep and then puts, you know, Aluko and uh, Mo Barrow on each of the wings, you you can imagine them breaking quite high and quite quick, can't you? And I think they'll probably try and do that away from home, where especially if we leave. Uh, two centre-backs against a striker. Well, you've forgotten who the striker is, haven't you? Chris Martin. Oh, shit. <laughs> I completely forgotten that bastard. Yeah. You'd, you'd completely forgotten. Has he been Chris playing Martin. in recent yeah. week? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Chris Martin is going to make another return to the cottage tomorrow. For the second time in the season. I didn't like him when we played Derby. I thought didn't he was going to score. Didn't Clement drop him, though, when they played Derby? Uh, when he managed Derby, Clement completely yeah. dropped him. Well, I was about to say this about Mo Barrow. Because yeah, he dropped him when he, he dropped Mo Barrow when well. he managed Swansea because he didn't fit the style of play that Clement wanted to play. But he, in fairness, he has played them both during his tenure at Reading, and I imagine both will probably start tomorrow. It's a horrible. There's also Dave Edwards who loves scoring against Fulham. It's a horrible little fixture tomorrow. I really think we've got 19 unbeaten. This is the Blackburn of last season. Please, can it not be Reading at home? I, I, isn't, you know, it, isn't it, Jack? Yeah, it screams. It, it, it's Blackburn of last season. Oh, I just, a fantastic run 
team in 17th comes to the cottage they've got a decent they've got a big man up front and they cause us all manner of problems look the good news is that we know all about Martin we know all about Luco. we should you know theoretically have the you know minerals to stop them we, we, we should have the you know niche the now niche the now <laughs> the you know the intelligence and the kind of you know, game management these days in order to nullify these threats that we know are going to be there. You know, we've, we did it, you know, we saw against Matt Smith that that doesn't always work. It's not about how well you know someone to, to cut to stop them. It's about, you know, trying to counteract that threat. And look, we should win tomorrow. Let's put, it, let's put this in blunt terms. Like, Fulham need to win tomorrow. They should win tomorrow. We're a better team than Reading. We're in better form than Reading. And we have the ability to carve teams open at will, especially if they're letting 55 shots against them in two games. Right, if they leave us have 50, if they leave us have twenty seven shots tomorrow, we're going to score a couple of goals. Mm. So, yeah, you're on right. paper we should win this game, but no game is played on paper, is it? No, I, I am I am really worried about tomorrow, and I think in the past few weeks, as a podcast, we've had a little bit of a reputation for maybe getting not not arrogant, but sometimes we're kind of oh yeah, we'll win this one, yeah yeah, yeah it'll be good. At least I know I like that we're putting on record that we're not confident tomorrow and that we completely foresee um, the worst case scenario. Fulhamish. Exactly. Um, so let's do some questions. Feel like that's enough reading uh, for me. Jack, what's coming in the post bag? You you were not quite enough reading for you, I'm afraid. We've got a question. Yeah, we've got a question from a reading fan. How about that? How about it's that? Not allowed. So this comes from Callum, uh, at Callum the Gam. He says, as a Reading fan, I'm genuinely not quite sure why Lucas Piazon keeps firing shots at Reading. Any explanations would be fab. Also, I think for a few Reading fans, when I say that our dislike for Neil Warnock trumps any bad feelings towards Fulham, we're not that worried about a loss. Which is an interesting question. Let's do a Piazon first, shall we, Sam? I feel like you, I, I, I feel like you know the answer to this best. Well... I think the, the, the trick was that Luke, it all started because Lucas Piazon obviously didn't have a particularly good loan spell at Reading at some point in his career, although he did score against Fulham. I remember that. Um, Lovely goal. Yeah, really good goal. But he did score, and when he came back to Reading, he was just you know roundly booed by the entire fan base. For, and I think he was kind of a bit taken aback by it at first, and then he was like, right, I'm going to play up to this. Obviously then he scored in that game he scored in the game in the 5-0 I believe at the cottage last season yeah. and I think he gave gave it a little bit of the cupped ear to the Reading fans who'd been booing him um, and then he started giving it sort of the large and then obviously he scored the equaliser this season so in full about 10 men and we stole a point and he'd been it was it got to that point at that point where he was booed every single touch of the ball for 70 minutes and he came on and scored obviously gave it a bit large and then the video of him breaking his leg came out. I remember when he tweeted, uh, he got a lot of tweets from Reading fans saying they were glad his leg was broken, um, that it couldn't happen to a nicer bloke kind of kind of stuff. And and I think that's why Lucas Piazon doesn't like Reading very much, yeah, yeah, if yeah, I'm perfectly honest. It seems quite reasonable of Lucas to not be a big fan of Reading after that. What did he tweet today? He tweeted something gold. Oh, he tweeted just saying... Oh no! Someone tweeted saying, "Why are Reading fans getting so hyped about last season?" He's oh hyped about Lucas Piazza's leg, and oh here he it is. Replied, the year is twenty thirty four, and Reading fans are still tweeting about Lucas Piazza's broken leg. <laughs> so Lucas replies, "It's all they've got to cheer this season." <laughs> <laughs> I mean, 
I mean, is, is it unnecessary? Yes. Is it reasonably funny? Yeah. I'd start him tomorrow. Yeah, I would as well. Um, Let him free. But I think it's... I think that's... I hope that answers your question, Callum. And uh, also, we also dislike Neil Warnock. So if you could just roll over and give us three points, I think we'd be mightily obliged. Um, we're going to move back on to Fulham fans now. This is a great question. It's from Patrick Dodds at Fulham Pat on Twitter. He says... I think I met this guy. Picture the situation. He says, 5,000 Fulham at St Andrews. We nick second with a last-minute goal. Do you risk a pa- do you risk a ban and run on the pitch? <laughs> yeah, I'm gonna fucking I'm gonna RKO the keeper. <laughs> <laughs> I don't care what happens. If I'm at St Andrews in the away end and we go up automatically, there's gonna be some sort of restraining order put on me. I'm not gonna be allowed at St Andrews ever again. I'll probably be in cell for the night. Oh, I'm quit- yeah, I'm quitting my job and spending the week uh, in Birmingham and tearing it up. The last thing I want to do is spend a week in Birmingham. Yeah, I, I mean, I'm definitely... <laughs> I'll probably home. return to London and then I'll quit my job. <laughs> I won't actually. I know you're listening. <laughs> like, I very much like my job. Um, yeah, but I thought it was a good question. Um, it's obviously very fun. I'd, I'd be... The scenes at St Andrews would be particularly spectacular, one would imagine. I think, though, don't you get put in an upstairs bit at South Africa? Uh, no, 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 they don't. They, they will give you the whole stand if you want it. Oh, OK. And then there's, uh, there's... They a... don't exactly have a lot of fans at the minute, do they? No, but they might be like on a last-minute scrap for uh, to stay. That up. would change. I think That's Birmingham. Mind you, Harley Dean see nothing like it. So there we go. I mm. think that Birmingham will be safe by then. They seem to have found a little bit of form. Um, yeah, they, there's a the away end at St Andrews is a huge lower tier, and then a really small, almost like hospitality-like upper tier, and it's like eight rows to the back. And of course, Fulham have never taken enough fans to St Andrews to warrant. Uh, taking both parts, but obviously, if there was something riding on it on the last day, didn't we? Didn't we sell out the whole stand when we the, the Hangland goal to get us a two 0 victory on the last day of one season? There was a lot of people there. I remember. It rings Not a bell. We did take a lot of fat. I don't think we took like a whole stand or anything. No, nice. All right, let's crack on. Um, this is from Joe Sansom at FFC. Joe, he says. Bettinelli, Ream and McDonald have been very good during our run. However, are any of them good enough for the Prem should we get there? Ben, start with you. Kevin McDonald is good enough to play lone pivot for Barcelona. It's as simple as that. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, I think I think I think, I think uh, Reem and McDonald are good enough. Yeah, I think Reem and McDonald are good enough. Betts might be a little bit found out, especially in the penalty area. It's a little bit more physical up in the Premier League. The only thing I'm worried about with McDonald's is if he plays lone pivot, he might not be fast enough. Yeah. Especially against some of the... If, if he's left where Stefan Johansson and Kenny push up a little bit too far and he's left isolated one-on-one with a, a quick number 10, it could be a little bit of an issue. But I think, for the most part, those three would probably have more than enough of the Prem. Yeah, we'd obviously need a few additions to our squad. Um, I don't think they'd be the first three positions that I would be thinking need an upgrade if we do get promoted. Clearly, we're going to need uh, squad depth all over the shop if we do get, go to the Premier League, but I would have thought they were three of the positions that are lowest priority right now. And all three of them had excellent seasons. Centre-back would be a high priority. Yeah. As, Sorry, but I mean replacing Tim Ream wouldn't be a high priority. Oh, yes, I see, I see. 
Um, okay, we've got this one as a, as a DM from George Danton. He says, are you surprised with how well disciplined Mitrovic has been? I, for one, thought he'd at least have one red card by now. No, Is yeah. he scared of Slavisa? You know, there's some absolutely wonderful articles out there at the moment that are focusing a lot on Mitrovic and his relationship with Slav. There's one in The Telegraph, there's been one in The Guardian, there was one in The Sun Goals this weekend as well. Um, as hard as it is to admit that I read the Sun newspaper purely for that, um, it does. It does. As long talk as you didn't about, buy it. It's fine. Well, I read it in the store. <laughs> um, basically, it just says Mitrovic and Slav have been. Have, basically, Slav is Mitrovic's idol. Um, and Mitrovic used to go to Partizan Belgrade. It's a brilliant picture to to us today of of him in the Partizan end. Him in the Partizan end, over the top of the fence, literally looking the same as he does now. Um, But small. But small, yeah. And um, at that time, Slavisa was towards the end of his playing career, but playing for Partizan. And and Jukanovic was Mitrovic's hero at, at that point. And I think Mitrovic feels lucky just to be playing for Slav. And he talks him up massively in all three of these um, articles that have been written um, about him and his time at Fulham. And he wants to stay, which is more important. And he said he'd play for Slavisa wherever Slavisa was. And basically saying that um, he probably thinks he'll, Jukanovic will end up at Real Madrid That's in the what summer. That's yeah, yeah, he was which, like, oh. Which is amazing. He's like, I'd love to play for Slavisa again if he's not at Real Madrid. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> he's like, oh, okay, right, cool. So I, I think there's, there's something to say here that the partisan and Serbian connection is keeping Mitrovic well under wraps. And he's shown nothing, really, other than the tussle with um, Lynch. Did enjoy the that. The game. Yeah. He's shown no sign of... Um, Boiling over. I still believe there's an element though of when you're playing that well and you're scoring so many goals, you don't need to yeah. get caught up. But this is the thing though: when he played for, uh, for Partizan Belgrade, they were in the they were in the final of um, of like a, a cup game, and he came on in very late in the second half, and he got sent off in about five minutes. And when he was in a playoff game for Anderlecht against, I think it was Club Brugge. Within five minutes, he'd been sent off for headbutting an opponent. Mm. Like he he couldn't get hold of the ball, so instead of trying to d- drop deeper or do anything, he literally just headbutted the defender. He he's also getting off. older. Well, he's twenty three. Yeah, no, I know he's twenty three. I know he's still young, but he's getting older in terms of how you know, and obviously more mature with his own development. And obviously, being under Slav helps. I think that's a massive factor. I also think that him scoring and being happy is a factor. But he's on top of all, at home here. on top of all of those things. He's growing up. And a couple more. This is from Josh. He says, if we were to get promoted this season, what positions would we need to invest in the most to improve our chances of survival? Central defence, goalkeeper, wing-back. Well, I think we'd need to invest a lot of money in getting some of our loan players to be permanent in terms of, like, invest a lot of money to get Mitrovic, whatever the cost is. I think we have to pay it. Um, Centre-back for me is where I think the most amount of money needs investing. Keeper for me, I think. Um... The third one, this is from Liam Byrne, we're going to keep them moving because this is they're all quite, you know, not similar, but or in the same vein. Um, potential question, promotion or not, which players in the current squad do we 100% sell in the summer? And if we go up? No, promotion or not. Who's a dead cert to be sold this summer either way? Marcelo Jello. <laughs> Ibrahima Cisse. Yeah. Floyd might go, actually, because he's, he's, he'll be 29 next year. I think Neeskins will go. 
Mm, maybe. Um, I just think so. I think I feel like I'm a bit the niece. Rui, Rui Font might end up oh. going. That'll be an in and out job. He might go back to Braga, if I'm honest with you. I think he'll I think go back to Portugal. Actually, now thinking, apart from the kind of obvious ones who've never played for us, like Jallo, I think I think Rui Font. I think he'll have he'll see this year as a as a wasted year and realise what he had at Braga and probably fancy going back to Braga, if not Braga, another kind of similar, more suited club. I think he'd do well in La Liga. I think he might go to Spain. I can yeah, see him can playing see him for like a... Levante. Espanyol even. I'd yeah, Espanyol, like Levante. Oh, I've like forgotten how old uh, Rui Font 28. is. 28. Yeah. He's not no spring chicken, but he's not yeah. bordering on the edge either. No, no. I'd be interested to see where he goes. Um, I think he could do a job for a number of clubs across Europe. And I, I, I do think that he has a better chance of staying if we go up. I do as well. He'll benefit from the space that you get in the Premier League. Um, that was a good one. Luke Johnson says, "What's your reaction to the team of the season?" Obsessing John's not a left back. No, he's not. No, he's not. And Kenny's been out half the season. I feel it was absolutely ludicrous for Tom Kenny to be involved. Um, and if I was a certain centre midfielders across this league, I'd be furious. Absolutely furious. If I was Jack Grealish, I and he, yeah. and you see Tom Kenny in the nominations for Championship Player of the Season. I think. I, I, that one's weird, but even I, I don't think I'd even have him in the team of the season. Like for him to be nominated for Player of the Season is pretty mad. I mean, don't get me wrong, TC is brilliant, and when he's on form, he's the best player in this league by a, by a distance. But he hasn't played enough to warrant that kind of you know accolade. I don't think. And to be honest, he's only turned it on really aside from that Ipswich game at the start of the season. He's only turned it on in the last couple of weeks, and he's only really seemed to be back to his kind of you know imperious best over the last couple of games goals aren't everything but an attacking midfielder oh, I know he kind of plays in a bit of a hybrid position for Fulham but he's our main creative midfielder that's only scored three goals and got a couple of assists does that really warrant being in the top three championship players of the season I'd say say Mitrovic has done more to be in the top three championship players of the season than Tom Kearney I don't think you you have this award based on how many goals or assists someone gets it's no, so it's easy a big to, part of the game yeah, but it's so easy to give an award based on goals and assists but if you've done that then no one would think that Iniesta is a great player no one would think like Xavi was a great player you know what I mean TC's much more than goals and assists yeah in the year that Iniesta came second in the Ballon d'Or he, he only scored something like six goals okay so two more questions this is from Michael Ball um, he says what do you think of the Nuno Warnock celebration and where do you draw the line with manager celebrations I assume on the touchline kind of What's, what's too much? Well, it was interesting, the Nuno thing, because obviously the thing that Nuno should have done is, you know, celebrated, fist-pumped, whatever, when that penalty doesn't go in. Go over to Warnock, just have a quick shake of the hands, and then run onto the pitch. Do your thing. The problem was is he kind of forgot, clearly just forgot, that he had to shake hands, because he got caught up, because he went through four minutes of hell. Yeah. And, and just that pure emotion... There's, there's emotion in scoring a goal and your team scoring a goal and running on, but actually there's something more in saving of a penalty. Two penalties. Like that. I remember going to... This is going a bit off-piste, but I remember going to the Emirates, the 3-3, back in the day. Great and I was, I was sat in the Arsenal end with my dad. And you know, Fulham came back from two goals down playing scintillating football and I managed to stay on my hands for all three goals and in part of the ground I didn't really feel very comfortable like cheering I, I don't think it's the right thing to do anyway when you're in a home section yeah. but when Mark Schwarzer saves that last minute penalty from Mikel Arteta I just lost it 
just completely lost my inhibition, forgot where I was. Both me and my dad, you've met my dad, he's quite a composed fella, just both went absolutely mental. And it's just something about the saving of a penalty because it's so unexpected. You think you've blown it and then you get a last minute reprieve. I feel like you have to forgive Nuno. But for Warnock to give it the whole... This game needs a bit of class. You need a bit of class in the no, English the game. Utter filth. I mean, come on, hypocrisy. The man that shouts, screams, gets in fourth officials' faces and everything. For him to have a go at the class of someone like Nuno, please give me strength. It's made me, even if I wanted, obviously I wanted Fulham to get automatic promotion anyway. It's made me want it even more, just so Warnock doesn't get it. He's look. You got to give. Warnock a lot of credit for what he's done this season. It's not pretty. It's not, you know, good football. No one's enjoying it that's not a Cardiff fan. But that doesn't matter to Cardiff fans and it doesn't matter to Cardiff players. They don't care that no one else is enjoying their football. They're about to be promoted. You know, then and that's you know, he has to be given credit where it's due. Personally, I don't like it. Would I like it for them? No. Um, but, you know, there are plenty of people who results matter more than, you know, footballing style to and I think that's a reasonable case to make Warnock accusing other people of lacking class is unfounded it's is unbelievable it's actually but in fairness what he's done is he's got everyone talking about him again which is what he wanted um, and he knows exactly what he's doing when he says things like this because he'll get the whole world up in all this is a man who, who substituted two of his players when they had already had three players sent off claiming they had injuries in order to try and get a match cancelled against West Brom this is a man you know, who, who knows no limit to what he will do to sort of skive scum and cheat his way to you know, any sort of victory result he wants and, and ultimately you know, that's something that he has to live with and he, you know, he, can, he can say it all he wants but you know, Warnock will, you know, will eventually get his due, he'll get his comeuppance from, from these kind of things. Do you know the kind of the one thing with Warnock I forgot? He can't stand Fulham, can he? Because obviously it was Fulham that took Sheffield United's place um, in the Premier League that season. They no, went was... up in 04 05, and he can't, and because, well, we pretty much stayed up because Liverpool played a second strength side. Yeah, it was basically that, and yeah, and he hasn't been able to let that go. He's never let that go since. So if Fulham one ups him again, it's just new. I think it's just Nuno's culture. Yeah, he obviously of, hates foreign people, doesn't yeah. he? Like, let's think about it. It's, it's Neil Warnock. Like, of course he hates foreigners. Is that a genuine just, point? Yeah, yeah, that's a genuine <laughs> point I'm making. Neil Warnock doesn't like, doesn't like foreign players. Let's put it simply. Nuno Nuno doesn't. He he's always shown this sort of emotion when he was Valencia manager. He regularly celebrate like this, not to that extent, but he he's obviously he's not unknown to show a little emotion he's always been quite an emotional person you can see that on the touchline you see it in the press conferences and when he was at Valencia towards the end of his press conferences he was so emotional with them you could barely get a word out of him it's just the way he is and I think it's the same with all the Portuguese managers as well you remember Mourinho sprinting down the touchline at Old Trafford when Porto beat Manchester United in the Champions League semi-final like and you remember him sprinting down the touchline at Stamford Bridge when Chelsea uh, beat countless teams in, in, over the years. It's just how they are. Well, it's just Conte foreign managers. Flies Even Conte down, goes, down yeah. the touchline, doesn't he? And everyone loves Conte for it. They, I think Warnock's just got to get over it. Nuno made a little bit of an error. It, obviously, he should have remained composed, but you can completely come on forgive. now. Yeah, I mean, Warnock's no. just doing it because it was first versus second. If it was. If it was Wolves clinching promotion against a team that sat 23rd in the table, there wouldn't be a hoodoo like this. Yeah. 
little bit of class. Fuck a little off, bit of respect. Colin Wanker. Fuck off. He is also just a horrible bloke, isn't he? <laughs> Please, I shake my hand and fuck off. It was really bad. That felt really bad for like, especially the amount of times that Nuno obviously said sorry, got caught up in the moment, apologised, tried to go over the amount of times he tried to apologise to Warnock. It's frankly a disgrace. And even when Nuno said I'll come to his office later and offer my apology, and Warnock says, I'm not going to do the accent. Um, no, I don't no, want. I don't want him to, to accept my... it. Hmm. Won't even accept. Uh, an Unbelievably apology. petty. Oh, yeah. yeah, he's trying to. What I imagine what he's trying to do is rile up his players, but. You know, he's forgotten that, you know, Sean Morrison's already done that by releasing ridiculous of videos of him, you know, abusing Derby County players. So, you know, Cardiff... If Cardiff lose tomorrow, I think they might implode. I really do. It's a known, like, management political style, though, isn't it? To make the world... To make... Oh, to make the world, yeah. It's, yeah. Like, it's Mourinho's style. So I say Mourinho, yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's Vladimir Putin. It's everything that, you know... <laughs> That's what they do. They they rile up the people that they need to get riled up by claiming that everyone's against them. Boris Johnson. Yeah. Nigel Farage. Yeah, we went. But that's it. Your boy's a killer of It is. It's it's that kind of us v the world mentality. And and you know what? It's served Cardiff well. So, you know, begrudgingly, you kind of have to accept it at times because it, it works. I mean, it's not the way I'd like to do it. It's not, you know, not kind of how I see the game. It's not kind of... It's how I think it's yeah it's not my football but you know, not my view but if it works but if it works then you know it must work for, for Cardiff teams so there we are I'm going to finish up one final question um, which is a little bit more direct what kind of reception do you think Sean A. Luca is going to get tomorrow a warm one if Farrell's there he's probably going to get yeah, a banner, got the banner out, out. <laughs> he's got a Nigerian flag everything I think it'll get quite a warm one because Farrell's paid for the advertising boardings around the side saying thanks Sonny yeah <laughs> I mean, he always wore his heart on his sleeve for us. He always gave 100, 110%, regardless of whether the ball flew over the bar uh, <laughs> 150 times a game. Uh, it's Luco, he got us out of a lot of holes. He had a fantastic season with us. And I think throughout the whole situation where he was being sold to Reading, he handled himself brilliantly. He was obviously quite emotional and didn't ever want to go. So I think Fulham fans will give him a, a warm round of applause because we don't know anyone, do we? And also, Only Neil Warnock. He seems like a very respectable chap. He went on Football on Five as a, one of the co-hosts earlier this season and he, he had nothing but kind words to Fulham, explained the transfer um, and some of the stuff he did last season for us. I, I always remember, I think it was Huddersfield, it could have been Reading, it was one of the five nils and he did this run up the left-hand side and it was utterly majestic. He beats about three, four players and puts a perfect cross to the back post. It's Lucas Piazza. It's, it's Lucas Piazza. Yeah, it was against Reading. And... It's utterly majestic. And he did that on several occasions last season. Yes, his end product was poor, but I thought he was a great player. Apart from the fact we got offered great money, I was a little bit sad to see him go. And I think if he gets anything but a warm reception tomorrow, I think... I mean, we were on the train over in Barnsley. We were singing his bloody name for three quarters of an hour. Yeah, no, we did do I mean, it is just a good song. I think that was it. Um... I think that's all of them. That was from Sam Lockhart. I didn't actually mention whose question it was, but thank you, Sam. Thank, thank you, thank you everyone. Are you, are you giving him a good reception tomorrow? Am I giving Sean a... Yeah, of course I will. Of course I will. I don't that's know. going to boo him. Yeah, yeah, me. N- notorious Fulham boo boy. You're a Sean Yeah, exactly. <laughs> all right. Well, that is Fulhamish Podcast for this week. Thank you so much uh, for downloading and listening as ever. It's always much appreciated. We just need to name this week's podcast. Jack, what are you thinking? 
Oh god, I did have a name. I wanted to call it Viva John Ruddy, but I think that might be a bit much. Um, I might go with I might go with Serbian Owl Slayer. Serbian Owl Slayer. Okay, I quite liked Viva John Ruddy, but Serbian Owl Slayer it is. So Fulhamish will return uh, Wednesday evening, Thursday morning, looking back at that Reading game and then looking forward to the West London derby. They're coming up on a boat and we need to beat them. So that will be dropping. We can need to sink it. <laughs> <laughs> Both metaphorically and physically. Billy the oh, Bee. Rockets boys. With his bow. <laughs> Bill the Rocket boys. Um, right, so make sure you listen to the podcast later this week. Uh, thank you for listening to Jack Collins. Thank you for being here. Hello, thank you, Samo. Ben Jarman, thank you for being here. Thanks, Sammy. Thanks, Jack. We'll see you later. Bye-bye. Bye. Bye. Toodles.